Welcome to The Happy Baptist, the podcast which exists to equip believers through conversations about Christian faith and practice. My name is Alan Duty, and I'm the preaching pastor at New Life Baptist Church in College Station, Texas. And today I'm joined by a special guest, my good friend, Mark Stone. Mark is a busy guy, so I am very thankful that he was willing to spend a little time with us today on The Happy Baptist. Mark is the chief information officer for the Texas A&M University System, a position he's held since 2013. Mark also sits on the board of several missions organizations and also serves as the missions director at New Life. Mark, in spite of all of the allergy issues that we have going on today, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, It is an honor to join you today, Alan. Well, Mark, you and I have quite a bit in common. Uh, We certainly have a lot of similarities as far as our personalities and perhaps some of our quirks as well. Uh, But we also share a love for golf. Uh, One of my favorite memories is driving to Augusta, Georgia with you three years ago to spend a couple of days at the Masters Tournament, which I think is the greatest sporting event in the world. Uh, What did you enjoy most about our trip? Was it the 36 hours that you got to spend with me in the car in a four-day period? Uh, With all apologies to you, Alan. The best part of the trip was experiencing the Masters firsthand. Yeah. Their traditions, the pristine course, the elevation change, the rolling cheers from the crowd, and the reverence displayed by the patrons. Yeah. You mentioned the elevation change. That is something that really does not come through on TV. When you're watching that thing on TV, you can tell there's some hills, but the cameras, because they're all standing on the same level as the players, it looks flat. And then you get out there, and it's like it's being played in a mountain range. It's incredible. And the elevation change really means that when you walk the course— You are tired you at the end of the day. You are worn out. You are worn out. No kidding. And those caddies lugging those uh, players' bags, you know, which are like mini lockers. I mean, that is really something. And the one thing I remember very distinctly was I don't know if I ever found a piece of ground that was level to stand on. Yeah. The whole time we would be watching a hole, yep. we were either standing on a downhill slope yep. or standing on an uphill slope. Or sideways or whatever. Your lower back would start to feel it after a little while. And we're just standing there. We were just standing there, and it was hurting. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, incredible memories. I mean, we walked right into the clubhouse uh, with with your friend Kyle, um, and uh, just thinking about the greatest players in the world have played have walked in that clubhouse and played that course since the 1930s. And you know, we within five minutes of us being in the clubhouse, almost run into Gary Player as he comes downstairs from the champions' locker room. I mean, that was really awesome. I wish I had a picture of your face when Gary descended (laughs) the narrow staircase behind you Mm. and asked if you would let him get by and you turned and your jaw dropped. It was priceless. I have no doubt. Uh, What a memory that that was, it was incredible. Well, Mark, something else we have in common, of course, is that you and I have lived a lot of our lives at the intersection of uh, the business world and the church world. Uh, Of course, you did your undergraduate at Baylor University, which has its Baptist background. Uh, I studied at Texas A&M, secular state university. Uh, I spent a few years in the business world before moving into vocational ministry. You, of course, went from Baylor into uh, the the secular workforce. Uh, Both of us have a passion for men and women who are in the workforce, and I think that one of the most important things that we can do uh, in the church is equip Christian believers to live out their faith in the place where they spend 40, 50, 60 hours a week, which is uh, their office. And I know you share that passion. Oh, absolutely. Because you're correct. After sleeping, we probably spend more hours working if you add the commute to it than anything else we do. Thus, one's vocation is a critical part of who we are. Mm -hmm. 
in what we become in this journey on this earth. Yep, absolutely. So I thought a conversation with you would be helpful to the vast majority of Christian believers who, like you, are spending most of their lives in, in, in the workforce and want to be faithful to Christ. And so I think that a lot of young Christians, like the kind that we serve at New Life and, and here in a university town, wrestle with whether to enter the workforce or to go into vocational ministry. How did you work through that question and process your own calling, Mark? There's much confusion and chaos about this notion of a calling. On one side, there's a spiritual distortion. Christians say, God called me here or there. But what they really mean is, he guided me. Mm -hmm. On the other side, the notion of a calling has been equated merely with occupation or work. Mm. That's a secular distortion. What we need is balance. We need to recognize that there's a primary call, which is by the Lord, to the Lord, and for the Lord. And this is, in essence, the efficacious call of the Spirit. But there's also a secondary call, and that is a calling about who we are, not about what we do. We are called to be more than we are called to do. Thus, God is really more concerned with us being a steward of our time talents and treasures, being obedient to his word, being holy and becoming Christ-like than he is in what profession we pursue. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I hear you really questioning that, 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 uh, that mysticism almost that pervades. And also, you know, on the, on the other side of the spectrum, kind of an over-secularization of the whole thing. Um, and, and so, you know, it, it sounds like what you're saying is Christians need to pursue wisdom through prayer and through conversation with older, wiser believers and studying the word, um, not neglecting the work of the spirit through those means, but also not, not, not reducing it to simply, you know, I just kind of look at my options ahead of me and, and, and apply around and kind of see what turns up. Is that a fair characterization? Yes. I mean, one of the things that we'll, we can deal with at a later time is, is I think we need to look, I'll oversimplify for a second. We need to look at our spiritual gifts. But our spiritual gifts were primarily given to be utilized within the body of Christ. No doubt. Mm -hmm. We were also given natural gifts, Mm -hmm. talents, and experiences. And those can be used both within the body of Christ and were very much given to us to be used in our day-to-day living Mm -hmm. and across the wider community. So the aspect is, yes, there is a real need for us not to get into this mysticism, mm-hmm. but to begin to look at the fact that we have been giving giftings, natural giftings, spiritual giftings that are to be used. Mm-hmm. And they were not given just so that we can put them on the shelf. Yep. Yep. That makes sense. <clears throat> well, in my experience, a lot of Christians, especially younger Christians, seem to think that entering the workforce, secular work as it's often referred to, is kind of a second-class existence to entering vocational ministry. Why do you think that many believers might come to the conclusion that secular work is not as valuable as entering into vocational ministry, ministry that you get paid for? I think there's a mistaken notion that some careers or jobs are more spiritually honorable or useful. Mm -hmm. But the Reformation doctrine of vocation rejected this notion. It taught us that God called each person to a variety of tasks in this world. 
Mm-hmm. Luther stated that the vocations were not so much what we do, but what God does through us. Let me explain. God is the one who ultimately heals the sick, mm-hmm. feeds the hungry, builds houses, and brings children into the world. Yet, he is pleased to do this through physicians, mm-hmm. farmers, builders, and parents. Yep. Our career, however mundane, is noble because through it, God himself cares for his creation and advances his wise purposes. Whatever job you do, it is a holy calling, a sacred calling, a responsibility given to you by God to serve him whatever you are doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned Luther there, and, and, and he did such a great job recapturing that idea because it. I think really at the time of the Protestant Reformation, you just had the vast majority of people who felt that, you know, the priests, the monks, the nuns, they were doing work that pleased God. Everybody else... It wasn't necessarily sinful what they were doing, but God wasn't necessarily happy with the fact that they didn't enter the monastery, uh, so to speak. Um, and I think that, you know, we, we need to recover some of that Protestant reformational theology, uh, which which sees all of our work as connected to what God is doing and providing for and caring for and, um, you know, keeping people safe and, and doing all the good work that, uh, that that God does through the means of people. Absolutely. You mm-hmm. couldn't say, you said it even better than I. I don't know about that, but so do you think that pastors in particular, Mark, uh, and churches in general are doing a good job equipping the saints for ministry in the workplace? I I get the sense that maybe we have some room to improve here. Um, I I would clearly state that pastors and churches in general, I think are doing a poor job. Mm -hmm. Um, Let me give you three reasons why. Number one, many pastors cannot equip the saints because they themselves have not worked in the workplace. Mm. It's really hard to train, instruct, deliver expectations when one has not been in the workplace. Thankfully, most of our pastors here at New Life Mm -hmm. have done so. Second, many pastors, unfortunately, don't value ministry in the workplace. Mm. They more value how many Bible studies you're leading, how many life groups you're participating in? Mm-hmm. Are you attending church? Are you caring for the kids? They measure it in terms of what's being done at the church. Mm-hmm. And then third, I think many pastors press the saints into pursuing this work-life balance, mm-hmm. but they use a single metric. The number of hours worked outside the home. Mm-hmm. This is wrong. Pastors and churches need to understand that the goal of work-life balance foremost is an idol. Hmm. Most believe that a 40 hour work week is a right, not a privilege. Most who make a big issue about working less do so because they desire more leisure. Mm-hmm. Most who push for an easy work week squander the hours not spent working. And we know that for centuries, men and women work 50 to 60 hours a week and six days a week. Oh, easily. Yeah. And yet they had time to read the word, mm-hmm. train their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, mm-hmm. serve in church based ministries. They were able to do so because they were not burdened by the demands of fitness regimes, sports, television shows, Facebook, mm-hmm. or unimportant fast times. Yep. Are the churches really preparing and equipping the ministry, the saints for ministry in the workplace? I don't think so. Hmm. 
Yeah, that's a that's a really, really great point to, to, to revisit the thing that you said first. I mean, I, I have to agree with that. I get asked a lot, you know, Alan, do you do you wish that you had gone to Bible college instead of to a secular you know, state institution? Um, do you think that, you know, if you could go back, you wouldn't have gotten a business degree? I tell every one of them, absolutely not, um, because I think that you know, that, that gives me the perspective that you were referring to, you know, um, I didn't do it for a long time, but, but I know what it is to, to get up and to put on a shirt and tie and to have to fight traffic to and from an office downtown. I know what it is to have to sit in a cubicle and submit to authority and to do what I'm told and to perform to, to metrics because I'm going to be evaluated on whether or not I performed. Um, I know what it is to have to, 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 to deal with coworkers who don't, don't necessarily share your worldview or, you know, whatever else. And I think, you know, um, pastors that, you know, do Bible college and go to seminary and go straight into the church, there's no doubt they bring their own set of experiences and gifts to the table. But I think when, you know, 95% of your congregation is not going into vocational ministry, is not going to be doing something that even looks remotely similar to that, it is very helpful when pastors can get some experience in the secular workforce, because I think it helps them to understand the challenges and the strains and the demands that are placed upon your average church member. Oh, you're absolutely correct. And that's why that was the very first point mm-hmm. is it's much easier to equip the saints. If you yourself have experienced yep. the very challenges, the very temptations, the very trials mm. that your saints are facing in yes. the workplace. You may still be able to challenge a church member on the amount of time that he's spending, for example, serving in the church. But you're going to do that from a very different point of view if you have gotten home at 6 o'clock p.m. after a full day's work in an office environment and, you know, you've, you've been exhausted by a 45-minute commute both ways because uh, you know then what you're asking of them. It's a different thing when you don't really know experientially what you're asking the, uh, the single professional or the married professional or the married professional with children um, to, to sacrifice more hours uh, at the church building or, or outside the church building doing ministry. You're correct. And we, we see this obviously in counseling. It sounds like I'm changing the subject. But if you want someone to walk with you through stage four cancer, mm. boy, it's much better if you yourself have experienced that yep. and when you walk forward with that individual because mm-hmm. you know what they're feeling. Yep. And that's what's ha- taking place with those who have experience, let me rephrase that, those who are in the pastorate mm-hmm. have experience in that workforce to equip the saints. Mm-hmm. I also really appreciated your point that, you know, I think, um, you know, what you're seeing with, with the generation that's coming up behind us, I think that, you know, Generation Z, as they're characterized, they get kind of lumped in with, with I don't even know what other generation that's apparently lazy and doesn't work very hard. That's, that's not my experience with this generation at all. These are very, very hard workers. But here's the difference that I see. Previous generations wanted to work hard to make money. Um, this generation seems to want to work hard but they don't necessarily want financial compensation. They want more time so that they can go on vacation. Um, they can travel. They can, uh, you know, may pursue their their leisures, which may include, you know, watching watching shows on on the various streaming services or whatever it would be. They want time off of work. And so you are pressing the point that you know maybe as Christians we need to think about how to equip the saints to think about if you are 
maybe I should say blessed with a 40 hour a week job. Well, then how are you spending those other 40 hours a week or whatever it would be when you're awake? You know, are you, are you using those wisely for the kingdom? So there are two comments that I would make. One is that this, the younger generations do work hard, but they don't follow the baby boom generation who worked hard from 7 a.m. till 6 p.m., but you didn't touch their evenings. These younger generations, they may work 8 to 5, but they may go home, let's assume, at 4 o'clock, but they have no problem getting back online for an hour and a half at night. Mm -hmm. So it's a different work ethic, Mm -hmm. and so we can't lump in that all of this younger generation doesn't work right. They work differently. So that's comment number one. And comment number two is, I was very hard on that 40-hour work week as being an idol, and I'm now oversimplifying this, but if every single person strove to only work 40 Mm -hmm. hours a week, we would have fewer Christian supervisors, Mm -hmm. fewer Christian vice presidents, fewer Christian CEOs, CFOs, and CIOs, because the way one moves up the food chain is by being excellent, which requires more than 40 hours a week. You go above and beyond. You go above and beyond. So we have to recognize that we can't be pushing everyone to pursue something that, first of all, is not easy to achieve, but it also ensures that you don't have the wherewithal, now we're into a first world problem, the amount of money you need when your kids get to college age mm. because you're still working as a uns, you know, as a laborer mm-hmm. who's never gone to supervisor status yeah. or director status, et cetera. Yeah, because you're going to be hard-pressed to find anybody in the in management or, or beyond, you know, that, that has a 40-hour work week at this point. And I think, you know, there, there's a case to be made for, hey, we need to talk about overworking. We need to talk about, you know, and especially that's going to be the case in, in, in the higher-producing urban areas of Dallas where you're from and I'm from and, you know, Houston. And, and New York City and Chicago, things like that. But that's a different that's a different conversation almost. Like when we're because I think we're really dealing more with the you know I demand to work forty hours and no more at this point, rather than like you know a ton of people in our context that are putting in 80, 90 hours a week. I think that's going to be more the rarity. Well, you alluded to something I think is very important earlier. It's what we do with those extra hours, mm-hmm. and. I have no problem with someone working 40 to 45 hours if they're using the time wisely. Sure. But I also have no problem with people working 60 hours. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you that there are individuals I know within our church who they're working 60 hours a week, oftentimes six days a week. I spoke with one just last night. They're raising their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. They're doing wonderful jobs. But his work is allowing his wife to stay home with their children. Mm Mm-hmm. And his work is ensuring that they are prepared to be able to provide for their needs going forward. Yep. And what is the sacrifice he makes? He's not playing on a softball team. Nope. He's not playing golf on Saturday. Nope. When he's not working, he's with his family. Yep. And that's what I think was the difference. 100, 150 years ago, people did work 60 hours a week, but they were not tied down with all of the leisure activities that's right. that we are. So the balance here is... What are we doing with our leisure time? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's well said. Well, Mark, not to highlight your uh, age and experience in life, but uh, you have been in the workforce for about four decades at this point, 
Would that be accurate? Am I am I fair in that assessment there? It is actually four decades this year. There you go. Four decades this year. As you think back on your career, uh, which has spanned a number of different jobs in, in, in uh, similar and, 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 and disparate industries, what's been most challenging for you as a Christian in the workforce? So I will highlight specifically three things. Number one, that you're like a good Baptist, Mark. You've always got like three points. This is this is. I mean, this is the happy Baptist. I feel like you're nailing it. But if I but if I if I give you up front where at three or four or five, uh-huh. at least you know that you're waiting for the second. The third there you go, fourth. listeners. You are waiting for these three points. R- ready? First, the fear of man. Early in my career, I was more concerned with fitting in with the team and gaining the approval of my peers and my boss hmm. than I really was of being a disciple maker. Mm-hmm. Second, I bought in relatively early in my career, the lie that ministry in the workplace was inferior to ministry after work, mm-hmm. which led me to pine for vocational ministry positions mm-hmm. when it was very clear that my talents were more suited and needed mm-hmm. in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And then third, at different times, clearly not by my later statements as I've moved into my second, third, and fourth decades, I idolize work-life balance so much that I failed to understand that work is inherently good mm-hmm. and that work is ministry. Mm-hmm. And as I matured and gained those, then that was different. But to get back to it, those were the three things that I struggled with, particularly in my first decade. Yeah, that's very helpful. Um, so let's talk about the fear of man thing. I mean, um, you know, w- when we when we're talking to a lot of the the men and the women in the church that, that are in a in an office environment, a lot of them would say, "I really want to be faithful to make disciples. I want to be faithful to share my faith with my coworkers that I'm with every day, all day." But, but I'm concerned about, um, you know, saying the wrong thing. I'm, I'm concerned about making my supervisors upset or even possibly losing my job because I'm talking about my faith in some way. What would you, what advice and counsel would you give to, to that person, Mark? So the fear that I had was actually slightly different, but I'm going to answer your question. I was fearful for being branded a Christian. Mm-hmm. I was fearful that they would think that I'm that right-wing wacko Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or that I'm someone who was radically different than they were. That was the real fear that I had. That fear prevented me from doing what you said, Mm -hmm. which is presenting the gospel, Mm -hmm. not laughing at off-color jokes, Mm -hmm. not being someone to say, let me correct you with what your statement was. It was the first fear that prevented the second. In Mm -hmm. essence, the way of saying it is, is my failure to be a disciple maker and evangelist was driven by the desire to want to be accepted Mm -hmm. versus that I would say something specifically that they might laugh at. Yep. That makes total sense. And and when you think about it, I mean, it's like if you're doing evangelism with, you know, folks that you're meeting out in, in, in the community, um, even your neighbors to whatever extent, it's like you, you can always walk away. You can always just go home. You can always say, well, that's too bad. They didn't receive the message. But if you start sharing your faith in your office and people don't like it, and then you become the, the office pariah kind of, so to speak, it's like, you have to go there every day, all day long 
And so there's a real cost, there's a real cost. to that. And I think that that, that makes, that makes Christians kind of reevaluate, how, do, do I really want to do this? And so I'm not going to be one to say that, you know, anyone has to make it their mission every day. Like I need to talk about spiritual things with my coworkers, but I think that, you know, we do have to challenge Christians uh, who are in the workforce to prayerfully consider what will it look like to be a witness for Christ? That certainly includes some of the things that you mentioned, you know, what kinds of things do we talk about and joke about, you know, what kinds of things do we laugh at? What, what kinds of ways do we speak about our, our supervisors and our coworkers? Those are all important things that are going to be shaped by our faith, but also then, you know, when do we, when do we go that next step? And it's, it's not an easy thing to figure out when there is a real cost, uh, potentially to be paid. Absolutely. Yep. So, so fear of man, you talked about, um, you also talked about, you know, as, as you, as you, uh, progress in your career, um, that, that tension between, you know, feeling that, uh, you know, vocational ministry would be, you know, maybe a better way to live out the calling as a Christian. When I was in college, I was discipled by a guy named Trey Arbuckle, um, who refers to me as his great disappointment. And uh, he calls me his great disappointment in jest because instead of going into the business world, I ended up in vocational ministry because his point was always, you know, I think that you can serve the Lord uh, so well in these dark places that don't have a lot of Christian witness, like you were talking about before. Um, and so, you know, help us help us understand, you know, what you were feeling in those times when you were wrestling with maybe I should get out of here and maybe I should go into ministry. Um, what 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 was sparking those feelings for you in terms of like the things that you were encountering on a day to day basis and you know, how you were feeling at that time? So I think the two things that I would I felt at that time was that I was spending a lot of time in terms of hours that when you really added them up, they weren't direct ministry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you, in fact, were working on a project, you might be heads down for six or seven hours. Yep. Nothing of true spiritual, direct spiritual value. Right, right. Put an asterisk by yeah, that. Yeah, sure. Number two, there were spiritual gifts that one possessed, natural gifts that one possessed, that I would want to pivot to some type of direct vocational ministry Mm -hmm. and now benefit that I can spend six to seven hours heads down Mm -hmm. in direct ministry. Mm -hmm. And so that was the real struggle that I faced. It was just this desire to pivot. Yep. A larger percentage of my time into what was perceived as direct ministry. Yeah, that that completely makes sense. I think that uh, you know a lot of a lot of people struggle because they feel like you know they, they have a hard time making the connection. And uh, you know, so you, t- you take your position for example, Mark. You know, you're spending a lot of time all day every day um, dealing with technology and the people who work in technology for the Texas A&M University system. And, and you could be tempted to think, well, what am I really doing to advance the kingdom? Without stopping to think that, you know, the work that you do is enabling, I'm not sure how many, I can't even guess a number. Uh, how many folks approximately Mark are in the, are in the technology department of the university system? We probably run somewhere in the range of several thousand. Okay. 
several thousand <clears throat> workers. So that doesn't include spouses. That doesn't include children that are being directly affected by the work that you're doing. And they're able to put food on their tables for themselves or them and their spouse or their family uh, because of the work that you're doing six to seven hours at a time, sometimes working on projects heads down. And so I think that, you know, having that, having that perspective will hopefully help people overcome that idea of, you know, my work doesn't really make a difference. It's directly making a difference because you are being the hands and feet of Jesus to provide for families. And, and one of the things that later I came to grasp, and this was, notice the word I used was direct ministry. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I grasp this truth later in Genesis one, we read, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, every living thing. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. Mm-hmm. The first thing to note about that passage is it takes place before the fall. Mm-hmm. Work is not the result of sin. Mm-hmm. It is part of our original design for humanity. Right. And second, Adam's dominion over the garden was to expand into dominion over the whole earth. Adam and Eve were to turn the entire earth into a showcase of the glory and beauty and majesty of God. Mm -hmm. This task of subduing and ruling, working, okay, encompasses every legitimate occupation. A plumber is called to use pipes, gravity, and principles of pressure to channel water and other things in ways that are useful to people. Yep. A factory manager is called to learn how his factory operates and coordinates others in applying their skills to subdue and rule. Mm-hmm. A teacher is called to pass along knowledge so that others can be equipped to subdue and rule. A homemaker is called to raise her children to be responsible and respect authority. In essence, all occupations call us to subdue and rule in some fashion mm-hmm. because work is good, even yep. if it's not direct ministry. Yeah. Yep. That's a, that's a beautiful way to, to connect all that together, especially, you know, when you talk about, uh, even the homemaker, you know, cause I'm, you hear this from moms all the time, you know, I, when you're, when you're at home with little kids, you know, changing diapers and, 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 and figuring out the food situation and the nap schedule. And I mean, I know young moms struggle with feeling like what, you know, how does this really make a difference? I wish that I was out there doing direct ministry as you've been using the phrase and, uh, and to help them see that, you know, they, they are doing direct ministry. It just, it's just that you have to have a longer timeline. A you have to have view. that longer view that you are active in the task given to Adam and Eve to subdue and rule over this earth. Mm-hmm. That's the view. So, Mark, it, in our community, uh, you give a lot of time to mentoring young people, um, young men in particular. Uh and a lot of these young men are making big decisions with their lives. Um, you counsel people on, you know, pre-marriage questions and engagement questions, dating questions for sure. But a lot of the stuff that you talk about is the decisions about the next steps in terms of their career and their jobs. Um, what advice would you give someone? Let's let's start real broadly here. What what advice would you give someone who is trying to decide between entering the workforce and going into vocational ministry? as a Christian. I think those that struggle with this kind of fail to understand a critical biblical truth. And that is that work has value. Mm -hmm. So let me explain that. What is it that gives our work value to God? 
Is it simply that when we work, we earn money so that we can give a tithe to support the ministry of the word? Is it that in our workplaces, we have the opportunity to be sort of many missionaries to share the gospel with the people we work alongside? Is it simply that we have to work to earn money to support ourselves so that we can get on with the real work mm-hmm. of being active in our churches, mm. being a deacon, teaching Sunday school, leading a Bible study? Mm. Is that what gives our work value? No. What is it then that gives our work value? It's simply that God declares that everything we do, and Paul says this very clearly in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, is working for the Lord and not for men. Mm -hmm. Paul tells us that it's the Lord Christ we serve, and God has declared our work to have value. It doesn't need to have other means outside of itself. So that's the first part of that question. Yeah, very very Work helpful. Has value, and then I can add something else. But you were going to ask. Well, a question. I just I think that that is that is critical because, uh, you know, I, I think that's what's been lost is is people see people get Genesis three mixed up in their minds and they think that the work is the curse. But work is not the curse. Work, not, work was before the, in, in Genesis 2. You know, God puts Adam in the garden to work it and to keep it. Genesis 3, what we learn there is not that work is bad, but that work is cursed. Uh, work is going to be difficult. And so uh, I think that's a great point. So to get back to your question, having now laid that out, what advice would I give workforce, vocational ministry? Mm-hmm. The Puritans spoke of two callings a general calling and a particular calling. The general calling is the same for everyone. It's the call to godliness Mm -hmm. and conversion. Mm -hmm. It is whereby man is called out of the world to be a child of God. The particular calling consists in the specific tasks and occupation that God places before a person in their daily living. It focuses, but is not limited to what that person does for a livelihood. So if I understand the two different callings, This influences vocational stewardship. Mm -hmm. We need to avoid the trap of merely looking around for the best career based upon fame, wealth, or success. Mm -hmm. Likewise, we need to avoid the trap of assuming that only godly careers can be found in full-time ministry or nonprofit concerns. We should assess our spiritual gifts and our natural gifts and freely do the things that we are cut out to do by the Lord. We should boldly and confidently choose a career knowing that every calling is God honoring mm-hmm. and capable of advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm. Yeah. Yep. That's well said, Mark. Well, brother, as, as, uh, as we get ready to sign off here, are there some recommended resources that you would that you would point believers to in terms of books or podcasts or articles that you found helpful over the years that as they're sorting through, how do we how do I honor God as a laborer in the workforce? Uh, you would say, I, I want you to to check this out. So I didn't reference specific books or articles, but I do want to reference specific authors mm-hmm. who I think have done and you can sometimes they're podcasts, sometimes they are articles, sometimes they're a chapter in a book. Yep. Um, clearly, Wayne Grudem mm-hmm. has done a lot of work in this whole integration of faith and work. 
He has a business for the glory of God, the Bible's teaching on the moral goodness of business. I mean, that's a that's a pretty straightforward title there. And it's probably one that is mandatory for anyone who's in the workforce. Yeah. And it's a short, accessible book. I mean, it's got to be 120 pages or less. I mean, it's, it's fabulous. really short. Yeah, that's great. The second individual who has done a fair amount of work at this, he's out of Covenant Theological Seminary, he's a gentleman named Jerem Bars. Mm-hmm. And Bars sits in the Francis Chafer chair. So he's into the apologist. But Bars, if you look it up, has done a lot of integration of faith and work. Yep. Uh, Bob Thune mm-hmm. has done some work. Mm-hmm. You know, out of the, and you can get him out of the... Yeah, Quorum Deo, Quorum Acts Deo, 29 Church in, Acts in Nebraska. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, He's got some really great works here. Mm-hmm. And then there's an interesting individual. He's actually a faculty member at Auburn mm-hmm. University, Stanley Reeves. Hmm. All four of these men have taken a broad historical view and the theological view and a practical view and have combined them into a variety of different sources mm-hmm. that I have found as my go-to people mm-hmm. in the space. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, those are those are great resources. Um, I've not read a lot of some of those guys, um, but I'm I'm thankful that you've you've got some experience that's wider than mine. The only ones that I would add to that, Gene Edward Veith, of course, mm-hmm. is uh, is famous for his work in these areas, and you could probably Google and uh, find a lot of his writing on faith and work. And then, of course, in terms of the pastoral realm, I mean, I don't know that anybody's done more than Tim Keller in New York City, just given the fact that I mean, his congregation is is made up of these folks, you know, who uh, are probably more on that other. End of like you know it's a hundred an hour work weeks or whatever, um, but but his book Every Good Endeavor connecting your work to God's work is fantastic and of course Redeemer started the Center for Faith and Work uh, and you can access a lot of their resources for free online as well and I would highly highly recommend those absolutely yeah. Well, Mark, this has been a very helpful conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today and, and talk to us about uh, vocation and, and and the Christian life. I'm, it was an honor to be here. Very enjoyable. Good. I always enjoy spending time with you, Alan. Thanks, so. Mark. You as well. And I sure hope you get feeling better. And, uh, man, allergy season is, is not as mean to you for the rest of the way. Well, thank you, brother. Well, for those of you listening, if you found this conversation helpful, we encourage you to subscribe to The Happy Baptist so you'll receive new episodes as soon as they're released. You can also rate and share the podcast on social media, which will help others find and hopefully enjoy the podcast as well. Until next time, remember the words of Charles Spurgeon. Holiness is the royal road to happiness.